0: Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word and the gift that it is to us that you, in your great kindness to us, have reached down and given us a book and recorded for us the history of your working in the world, redeeming a people to yourself. And as we look at this next passage this morning, we pray that you would be in us and among us, giving us wisdom. Your Holy Spirit, we pray, will continue to use your word effectively on our own hearts that we be transformed from glory to glory, as Paul says, into the image of Jesus. We pray that we would be encouraged not just in the sanctifying work that you're doing in our hearts, but also in the effectiveness of the gospel in the world around us, and that we would boldly be a part of that as you move in us, as you give us wisdom and knowledge from your word in our discussions this morning and at other times. Be with us, we pray. Help this time to be edifying to us and glorifying to Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. We're in Acts, chapter 18. And I know I uh, mentioned last week I was thinking about doing a kind of a a pullback from the book, an apologetics kind of thing. I got to think about that more. I, I may wait and do that whenever we have a break. When we're done with Acts, we usually take several weeks where we do kind of topical things may wait and do that I I just want to keep going uh, I think through Acts so right now we're in Acts 18 Um, by way of review we went through Paul's preaching on Mars Hill how long was Paul in Athens do you remember how long was he there was it a matter of weeks months years
1: Weeks.
0: Weeks. weeks pretty short time about 3 4 weeks most people estimate spends like what 19 verses on this 3 week adventure he spends a year and a half in Corinth and we have fewer verses <laughs> Luke is just not i mean the 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 focus that he has in his history is not time sensitive <laughs> it's not uh, proportionate to the amount of time that Paul spends in a place. He's looking at primarily how are these churches started and significant events that Paul goes through. They're typical of his journeys um, and that are edifying to the body. So we're seeing here just, I don't know, I, I maybe, I, maybe I miscounted about 18, 17, 18, 19 verses with, with, uh, with Corinth. It's less than the time in Athens but uh but here we are all right during this time that luke records this morning we know from the letters of paul that paul is experiencing some intense controversy in the corinthian church luke doesn't mention any of that we don't see any of the internal struggles from luke's history it's all what's going on externally and we'll get to some of that uh today the letters were written in Paul's third missionary journey. This is recording stuff in the second missionary journey. But what's amazing is that there's a lot of corroborative evidence between Luke and Paul about what's going on. We'll talk about some of that when we get into it. Corinth, in Paul's day, uh, the concrete was still wet on the buildings. This is a brand new city, and yet uh, it had been uh, the excavation efforts by the archaeologists have shown. A city named Corinth there, as far back as the Bronze Age, three thousand BC how is that possible? Well, Corinth uh, was a, a huge commercial center for Greece. It, it was a port city, in fact, a two port city. it had one on the east, one on the west, It's kind of the crossways for Greek commerce, east and west so it 's a very rich port town. Um, it also was a leader in uh, the league of city-states in Greece that opposed the, uh, the uh, oh, what were they called? The Persian invasion in Greece. You may have heard of a movie about that or something. Um, they were leaders in, in, in uh, Corinth was a leading city-state in that league that repelled the repellent Persians. Um, it also was a lead city-state in the effort to thwart Rome's conquer of Greece, which of course failed, and as a result of that, Roman vengeance on Corinth was to raise it to the ground. So the stuff with the Persians happened around 330 BC. The stuff with the Romans was about 146 BC, and so Rome conquers Greece and they raise Corinth to the ground. It becomes a dust heap. 100 years later, in 46 BC, uh, Julius Caesar does. Dist- this no-account guy in history, rebuilds Corinth because he sees the tr- strategic value from a commerce standpoint of having this commercial port there. He rebuilds it, makes it a Roman colony, floods it with his people, and so within, gosh, we're talking 50s or late 40s, early 50s, AD now, within 100 years after Julius Caesar rebuilds Corinth, it's kicking. Again, it's a, it's a high commerce city, lots of... Uh, money pouring in and out because of the trade that's going on there. What do you typically associate, though, with seafaring towns? Sailors? Sailors? High moral character place? No. Not so much. In fact, there was Greek terms for this. Live like a Corinthian means, a uh, will sanitize it, live an immoral life. <laughs> there were women known as Corinthian girls. Uh, very much an immoral place. And, and this was sanctioned by the temples that they had there. One to Aphrodite who was not really interested in purity of love. She was more of a sensuous kind of goddess. And they used uh, the temples for various things like that. Um, and then Apollos, of course, was their patron god there in Corinth. So you've got pagan worship. Uh, license to live however such that it shocked the pagans around how Corinth lived in walks Paul Uh, the other issue there is that you've got a high Jewish concentration in Corinth there's a there's a synagogue there already there's uh, historical evidence that the Jewish community there was very strong very centralized and and a voice in the city um, Corinth, like I said, is a port city. A little little history fact: They didn't. Uh, I think I can't remember who it was. One of the emperors, I, I want to say Nero, but I don't think that's right. Tried to build a canal across that peninsula that Corinth is on, or the isthmus that Corinth. It's kind of like the Florida of Greece. You know, it's a, he tried to build a canal across it so that they could just run ships through. and never finished it. So what they used to do is put small cargo ships on trailers. They were rednecks. They put them on trailers and ran them across the isthmus back and forth to to do some of the stuff. I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Now you have it for your next party. Okay. So here we have the strong Jewish community. And what we've seen in Acts, what's Paul's first objective? He goes to the synagogue, the, the Jewish community there. And that's what we see here. Let's look at chapter 18, verse 1. and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's stop there for now. So Paul leaves Athens. He travels about fifty miles, approximately due west, to Corinth, and he just happens to meet a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. What do we know about them? Do you, have we heard of? Did they instruct yes, they did. We see later in Acts that they take a young preacher who was very educated, a good speaker, and they correct his doctrine a little bit. They point him, they tighten it up a little bit and send him on his way. They're very involved in church life, and they have a a great ministry of of, uh, discipling uh, some people. And we see them always being mentioned together by Luke and Paul. Here Luke uses the informal Priscilla, very, you know, uh, pet name, Uh, like Tammy versus Tamara, right? I mean, the, Paul in Romans refers to Prissa and Aquila. And Prissa would be the formal name that she had. Um, and yet they're always referred to together. Many times it's Prissa before Aquila, which is odd for that time period, right? I mean, we, kind of a patriarchal thing going on there. It's thought that, not to diminish Aquila's ministry in the church, but it's thought that, like Lydia, Prissa was very prominent among Christian circles for the service that she did to the body. And so they honored her that way. Um, So Paul is arriving there uh, in in Corinth, and he meets this couple. Why are they there? What does Luke give us? They
1: had to leave Rome, because the Caesars told
0: them to leave. So Claudius kicks the Jews out of Rome is, is the way that Luke styles it. That's probably not entirely true. Uh, there's historical record of this fact and it actually helps us date the time period for the second missionary journey. This edict from Claudius basically restricted the assembly of the leaders of the Jews such that they couldn't meet without being in, in violation of the law. So in effect, it kicks them out. You got 50,000 Jews in Rome. It would be a pretty tumultuous thing to um to uproot and move foreigners out of your city with with you know effectiveness you got a lot of people to move so rather than do amnesty uh they decided to do this you can't assemble together thing and then they they started leaving well um the interesting thing here luke again he's so economic with his words it's just a real efficient thing what's going on is The reason Claudius is doing this, we know this from another historian, uh, a a Roman historian who wrote Life of Claudius, which kind of lets you know what it's about. Um, He uh, records that there was a tumultuous thing regarding Crestus. And scholars think that he got it mixed up, that he really was trying to say Christus, which is of course the Latin form of Christ, and so the thought is that what's going on in Rome is that the church was already in Rome, that there was already a witness in Rome, and there was fighting, as we're going to see here, there was this Jewish response and opposition where they were riding in Rome over Christus. And so Priscilla and Aquila are leaving Rome. They're Jews, number one. Number two, the thought is they're already Christians by this time. Uh, Paul falls in with them. He's got three points of contact, one, he's also Jewish, two, they have the same trade, they're all tent makers, and that means leather worker, it could be more than just tents, um, and the thought is that they're also believers, and so he is boarding with them, supporting himself in Corinth through tent making while he's living with, uh, with uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Just the quote from uh, the, the, the historian's name is Suetonius. The quote is this. As the Jews were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Christus, he banished them from Rome. The instigation of Christus, the thought there is that Christus was actually a common name. And so he doesn't hear it right, doesn't care, not really concerned with the history of Christianity, this historian. And so he's assuming some things as he's saying it. But it's about this time that, that we see some, some uh, increased animosity toward the Jews, as we'll see in this passage. Um, Alright, so surprise, what's Paul doing in Corinth? What is he doing in verse four?
1: Reasoning in the
0: synagogue. He's reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he's working the rest of the days, doing tents. So the, the idea is that while he's working, he's also bearing witness to the gospel. And reasoning uh, every Sabbath with the Jews. Let's look at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. (laughs) I'm just going to let that fall. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Let's stop there. Do you see a shift in Paul's focus... When Silas and Timothy get there. And what does it say? When the, once they arrive, what does it say he's, he does? Very next clause. He's
1: occupied with
0: the word. He's occupied with the word. Why would, why would there be that shift? Why would there be that change in focus where he's solely occupied with the word once Silas and Timothy get there? He can the they can help with the support. The thought here, too is not only does he have, have help with Silas and Timothy, but that Silas and Timothy are bringing support from the Macedonian churches to Paul to, to pay for his upkeep there so that he can solely be occupied with the, the mission in Corinth. And this bears out in the letters in uh, to the Corinthians, you see him thanking, uh, especially it's thought that the Philippian church, you've got Lydia running the, the, the traps there on making sure that he is supplied. And so the thought there is that Paul is now um, receiving support from Philippi and Macedonia. And this is consistent where there's a rabbinic tradition that we we see later in the second century where they, they argue that you should never make money off of your teaching You shouldn't fleece people for your teaching. Uh, And so Paul, in line with that, is working. He's bivocational. He's working during the week to support himself and not be a burden to the Corinthians. And he says that in his letters. But now that there's been these gifts that he hasn't been trying to drum up, but now there's been this gift from Philippi in Macedonia, he's freed from being bivocational and now he's solely focused on the missioning in Corinth, um, and so he's freed from having the burdens of, of making tents. What inevitably happens? <laughs> what do we see in every city that Paul goes to? He's
1: opposed and reviled. Contention.
0: There's contention. There's he's opposed and reviled by who? The Jews. The Jews. What are the odds?
1: But those are God's chosen people.
0: Well, yes. And they're choosing not to, uh, not to listen. Um, wh- what is going on there? Isn't this the same thing that Claudius had kicked Jews out in Rome? Right? This opposition, this concern with um, there's this new sect in Judaism, we've got to stamp it out. This is the same kind of stuff. And so they start reviling him. And evidently, it was significant enough for Paul to say, "I'm done with the synagogue." I mean, it's got to be pretty intense for Paul to wash his hands. What does he do, incidentally? what is does he?
1: goes right next door.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, right before that, though. I love that. But what, what does he do right right before that? He shakes, he, shakes off his off. His he shakes off his garment. What is that all about? So if you're in if you're in Canada, what is that a boot? Why is he doing that? Is that similar to kicking the dust off your feet? It's similar to kicking the dust off your feet, and what does that mean? What do, we've talked about that before. What what is it? Where's that coming from?
1: It, it's whenever Jews would re-enter the temple, they would kick or the holy place. They go back to the city. They would kick the dust off their feet from where they've been traveling
0: in simple places or mm-hmm. Gentile places. Right. So it's a, it's a it's a way to show I am leaving behind the filth of the Gentiles to come into the holy land or the holy city, mm-hmm. right? And that's a testimony that Paul is doing. I am leaving behind your filth of unbelief. And what does he say to them? Your blood be on your own heads. What is that all about? That's a, that's a very... He's so gentle and gracious.
1: <laughs> he's seeker sensitive. That's right. He's been preaching Jesus to them. Right. so... You know, in Athens, he had said, "You know, God at various times had overlooked things. Now calls all men to repentance." Okay. And so he was preaching. You know, well, you've heard the message; it's on you now.
0: Right. Where is he pulling that from?
1: Isn't it the same from, thing that
0: Jesus said about shake the dust off your feet? Ah. Mm-hmm. There is also Old Testament warrant for this as well, isn't there? Do you remember? Um, in your your daily reading as you work through the Bible in a year. Uh, Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is given this vision of a watchman on the tower. And he says, uh, God says to Ezekiel, you're a watchman for me. And if you see a warning and you don't blow a trumpet, what happens to the people is on your head. But if you see a warning and blow a trumpet, what happens to the people who don't listen to the warning is on their head. This is the mindset in which Paul is doing. This is how he approaches. I, all I've got to do is be faithful. I can't, I can't flip a switch. I can't make outcomes happen. I'm not going to buy their gas in some, in some way that they you know, come to, 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 to faith because I'm just overwhelming them with a bunch of works that have no relationship to the gospel. I'm telling the truth. Their... Um, their response to it is on their head. Once they hear it, they're responsible for what they know to this extent. I am no longer going to bear the blame for this. I've done my job. I'm the watchman. I've blown the warning. That's the idea he's doing it. The blood's on your head. I've I've blown the trumpet about judgment. You know it's coming. This is the way God has made for you to escape it. If you refuse, it's on your own head. That's what he's doing. And he's so... And, and then what does he say? I leave you and go where? To, the Gentiles. to right next door to the Gentiles. <laughs> What's up with that? We're right next door to the... Why is he doing that? That seems a little cheeky.
1: It
0: I don't think that's what he's doing, though. How do I know that's not what he's doing? He's not, he's not completely blowing off the Jews here. What, what happens?
1: The ruler of the synagogue
0: is converted. He's still witnessing to the Jews. She's he's the, just left that location. Not
1: <laughs> in the
0: synagogue. He's not in the synagogue, and yet he's still seeing conversions of Jews. He's, his heart is still burning for his people. Um, you have Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, who becomes a believer. And, and Crispus, in fact, uh, it, it, Paul, Paul mentions in, in one of his letters to the Corinthians that this is one of the guys that he actually had a hand in baptizing after, uh, after the, they believed. Through Paul's ministry there, the Corinthian church is actually fairly sizable. He had spent some time there. God was giving him a lot of fruit there. And it's so big that they had plenty of people to develop factions within the church. It's great. I mean, the bigger it is, the more problems you have and, and, and all of that. All right, so you have this opposition to the Jew, from the Jews... In Paul's experience, what inevitably happens once the Jews start getting restless about his message?
1: Imprisonment, beatings, stoning.
0: Here come the rods, here come the chains, here come the stones, here comes possible death. After experiencing that a few times, what do you think the natural response to something like that's going to be? I mean, his his responses recently have been, whenever that opposition has happened, what has he done? He's left. He packs and goes. I don't, want, I don't want the rods again. So look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. What is this? Does this seem familiar to you? Have we seen this in Acts before? (laughs) You know, you pretty much covered it there. I appreciate your definitive answer. This is very similar to what we, we, we have seen it a little bit before where the Holy Spirit or, or an angel or Jesus himself appears to a person in Acts to encourage them, to commission them. Uh, we've seen it certainly with the Damascus experience with Paul. We'll see it again. Uh, we'll see uh, Paul being visited uh, by uh, an angel and by Christ later on. This is similar to what we've also seen in the Old Testament. Remember when we went through Exodus, the burning bush. This is, this is a, a um, commission type setting, scenery, the languages even, you so fear not do this mission, assuring the success of the mission, assuring that God's presence will be with him, Though that kind of stuff is, is replete in the Old Testament when you see the calling of prophets um, and you have it here, he's encouraging Paul to stay in Corinth, don't run, why? Why? Why would he do that? No
1: harm will befall you.
0: No harm will befall you. And I have many of my people. I have many of my people in the city. And that language for my people is the same word that is used of the people of Israel, the people, the chosen people of God. And it's consistent with what Jesus said. I have many sheep that are not of this fold. I will go gather them so that there may be one flock and one shepherd my people what is that telling paul i have many people here in this city what does that mean are they converted yet no no but he's already marked them it's 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 there's golden in their heels you've got to go find them they're there go find them don't be scared about the stuff that's going to happen that may happen to you I'm gonna protect you because I need you to go find my people to bring my people in so there'd be one flock and one Shepherd what does that do for a man who fears beating stoning and imprisonment it's great confidence God is sovereign Christ is king over the affairs of men his purpose will be established because he has many people that he is working to redeem to call to himself I have many people. Um, No one's going to harm you. His mission would bear abundant fruit. He would not be harmed. So Paul is confident and remains there for 18 months. In fact, we'll see that the next five years, Paul's missionary journeys, such as they are, really revolve around solidifying the witness in Corinth and sending people out from there, And in Ephesus, so you've got Ephesus to the east and Corinth to the west, the church moving out, and Paul is working to inaugurate and consolidate those missionary efforts in those two cities. All right. Paul received a promise that no harm would come to him, but that promise did not entail that he would not be attacked. (laughs) So let's look at verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a unified attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if, I were, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words, and names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Don't be afraid. <laughs> What's going on here? What is the charge that the Jews bring against Paul? He was the ruler. But when he becomes a believer,
1: right.
0: you, have to, uh, you have to replace them with somebody who's not because they have this thing going on. It's kind of a, undermines the whole animus, uh, animosity against uh, uh, Paul. So you have this charge by the Jews. What's the charge? He's
1: persuading people against the
0: law. Against the law. Which law? Jewish law. Jewish law. <laughs> it's not Roman law. There is no... There is no law in Rome that says that an established religion like Judaism uh, is is not allowed to flourish. The law was against foreign cults proselytizing Roman citizens, not against established... I mean, they had had a synagogue in the place and that was not against the law. So by saying this, what is Gallio saying? Incidentally, just Gallio. Reputed to be a very charming guy, kind of a mover and shaker, he had a year term as, as proconsul, the judge over Corinth. He was the son of a man named Seneca, that name sound familiar? Seneca, Roman, uh, what's that? Hunger the Hunger Games, no, oh my gosh, no. Um, in reality, Seneca was a, a, a rhetorician, a, an attorney at the time, also had a son named Seneca who was a philosopher who was the brother of Gallio. And so you his brother wrote about Gallio. you want me to charm her this my brother. I mean he he he's judge over. He's a mover and shaker, a very prominent man in Rome in the in the judiciary uh, in, in in Roman politics. So he serves this year-long stint in Corinth and the charge is Paul's preaching about things that are against the law did gallio see it this way no No. what does he say It's it's your own problem why what is he what is he using as a basis to say it's your own problem we're not talking
1: about laws you broke we're talking about names and ideas
0: words names and the and your law right words some scholars think he's referring to their debate over scripture names some scholars think he's debating uh, that they're debating uh, or he's referring to christ as messiah or jesus as messiah Uh, your law referring to the torah so these are the things that we've seen paul arguing with the jews before from isaiah 53 and 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 other places so he says this is jewish stuff it ain't my jurisdiction i ain't messing with it i don't have time for this right And he was allowed to do that, by the way. If he didn't see a direct violation of Roman law as a proconsul, he could give it the boot. And that's what he does here. And he does it kind of a terse way. It's a snubbing way to these Jews who are bringing bringing a, a charge against Paul. Incidentally, does Paul get to make a defense? He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. One of the axioms of the legal profession, when the judge is making your argument, shut up. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: and that's what Paul is doing. He's letting Gallio make this argument. Now, I don't think we should say from this that Gallio is necessarily pro Paul. He's just anti Jew. So he's just kind of get out of here. Uh, he, it doesn't pique his interest. This is a Jewish affair. So, what's, what's happening next?
1: No, is it the Jews who are beating Sosthenes? Yeah.
0: No. no. That's not the thought. They all see. They all see and well that would be funny. I think they all... most the scholars I read said that it's the Greek... the, the idea is that this trial of Paul is out in the open. It's not in, in a building secluded, it's not on the fourth floor. It's out in the open in the, in the square. And so what's going on here is, is the carryover. Claudius just kicked the Jews out of Rome for this kind of debate. And the thought is that Greeks around, or the Roman citizens around this trial, seeing this, are incensed by it. You're not bringing that mess to Corinth, is kind of the idea. And so they take the guy who brings the charge, trying to make it a Roman affair when it's an internal Jewish dispute, and they beat the mess out of him. And where do they do it? Right in front of Gallio. And what does he do? Nothing. He's eating hot wings. He doesn't care. (laughs) He turns a blind eye to this.
1: I mean you would think that since Paul is the one he brought before that they would that they would beat him or come against him
0: that's why I think it's the Greeks and not the Jews he's
1: still protected
0: right right he's not harmed yeah Paul walks off scot-free while Sosthenes is being beaten for this Um, again don't fear nothing's going to happen to you I have many in the city and you need to stay Christ is king not only has he marked people to call to himself but he steers human events the, the significance of this trial I think is understated by Luke Gallio is a very prominent guy if he had found against Paul here that precedent would have been followed by all the other proconsuls anytime you bring a Christian yes this is against the law shut it down we'd have a very different first century history in the church. If he had let this go on, instead he finds it as an internal Jewish squabble that doesn't have the jurisdiction of the Roman proconsul. And for about 10 or 12 years, that's the position of all these judges, that this is an internal Jewish thing, let them do their thing, until you have an imperial policy that switches, it does a complete reversal on this, and then they become enemies of the state. Yeah? Yeah.
1: He got,
0: he got, Galileo, Galileo knew that Paul was a Roman citizen, also. Maybe we're not given that, but but maybe um, I would just know a way to know. It, but I mean, the, the fact that he's in front of a tribunal since to lean, I mean, he has the right to to be heard. Um, and since he didn't need to be heard, Galileo, uh, Galileo, Galileo had already made his uh, had already made his decision. He didn't give him the opportunity to defend himself because it wouldn't hurt him not to. Right. Pleading the fifth in this case was a good idea. Um, but uh, you have a precedent set that they followed for for about a decade, twelve years or so, and then that's when you know there's a flip uh, from from the top down. Yes. I have a question.
1: Uh huh. Is Sosthenes? Is Crispus?
0: Same guy? No, no, different guy. Crispus was a believer. He was.
1: Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue that believed in the Lord, and then he changed his
0: name to Sosthenes. No, no, no. Crispus was a believer. He got kicked out of the synagogue because he became a believer. Yeah. And then Sost, well, yes, he was the ruler of the synagogue, and they got a new. Oh, okay. There was a change in management because oh, I they didn't change a name like when when saul was paul no 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 it, although Sosthenes is it, some scholars debate that Sosthenes is the guy that um that was the fellow writer of romans there's some speculation that he may be the same guy that he later he became i guess beat some sense into i don't know but he became a believer later on and and was writing with paul uh the book of romans i that's speculation i don't know if that's You know, that's a fairly common name, but just throw that out there. Um, All right, what can we pull from this at 10.07? Christ is king. He told Paul he would not be harmed, and in this instance he protects not only Paul, but the fledgling church as these matters are brought before Roman authorities. Think about how difficult it would be for Paul to carry on his mission if Galileo had said, yeah, this is a breach of the law, he'd be shut down. We would have a different history. But it's God who turns the course of the king, the heart of the king, like, like a waterway. And he orchestrates these things and sets the precedent, giving them a decade of relative open-door policy to preach the gospel wherever they go. Because this is a Jewish thing. We're not going to deal with this from, from a Roman standpoint. What does that tell you about today? As the hostilities increase, is he no longer king? God
1: still king. Yep. Yeah. Yes, um, coming from a uh, evangelistic background myself, um, one thing I we want to have it deep in our hearts is the one promise that we do have: we have our salvation. We have the grace of God That we are guaranteed heaven You know What on earth What arrow can smite us What it do we smite? fear What do we fear Yeah,
0: Life, death, angels, demons <laughs> Height, depth yeah, because Paul goes through all of that in Romans if
1: death, if death is the uh, gateway to heaven For a Christian mm. What are we to fear What are we to be afraid of Hostility. Uh, Whit, uh, was it George Whitfield? What, what said? I look forward. I don't consider it a good sermon until a tomato gets thrown. Right. Me. Right. I brought, I brought,
0: fruit, fruit
1: that
0: that, that man had a lot of fruit thrown at him. Actually, it, it, he was he was a. I think he wore a target when he got up on the on the podium. It, you're right. I mean, it's it is a um, it is a, a thing that, that, that we struggle with as humans, not wanting to be reviled and marginalized and, and harmed physically. And we're looking at an increased hostility in our culture. It, this is nothing new. I mean, we've gone from Pilate looking at Jesus saying, what is truth, to coming all the way back around to Foucault and all the postmodern guys, what is truth? It's not, there's nothing new. We're in the same situation. I'm actually thrilled for the church to be in this situation. Because it forces us to be focused on what matters. What's the, is it the carpet? No, it's the gospel that matters. Is it, uh, you know, the, the budget of the North American Mission Board? Or is it the gospel that matters? I mean, all of these things that we tend to be distracted over. And here we have increased pressure from all sides that I think focus, focus, focuses, focuses us uh, on the gospel and what matters. And I'm thankful for that. And, and again, as we see this increased stuff, remember, Christ is king. Not only has he marked people for us to go find, like treasure in the mountains, but he also orchestrates the, the rulers against their... I mean, didn't, Galile didn't care. There was no motive in what he did other than inconvenience. And yet, in his own pride, God used that to grant 10 to 12 years of a relative uh, freedom for the church to present the gospel to an unbelieving world. And great strides went from there. So, All right, we're running up long. It's 10-10. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we will be dismissed. Father, what great comfort it is to know that Christ is King and that you have many people that we are to find and that you've given us your gospel to share, to live out, to be bold in our proclamation and faithful in our living. God, I pray that you give us the strength to do it. We can't do this in and of ourselves. We can't be faithful to the gospel in our personal lives and in our um, evangelizing and sharing the goodness of Jesus with others. We're weak. But thank you that you have told us that in our weakness, Christ is shown to be strong. Would you help us to rely on him day in, day out? Make us faithful proclaimers of Salvation through Jesus Christ alone. We pray that you would help us to find ways to be hands and feet, to serve others, to serve each other, to esteem and submit to one another as 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 unto Christ. All of these things play into the display of your glory, the display of the beauty of Jesus and the worth of Him in spite of increasing odds. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to do that. Thank you for the example of Paul and faithfulness and your encouragement of him. We take that for ourselves as well, that you are with us even to the end of the age. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.